Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm an Israeli. I was born in Israel. I even perceive myself as an Israeli patriot. I care about Israel. I belong to Israel. I'm attached to Israel. Don't speak about symmetria because there is no symmetry. I would even suggest that there is no conflict. Was there a French-Algerian conflict? There was a brutal French occupation in Algeria, which came to its end. And there is no Israeli-Palestinian conflict. There is a brutal Israeli occupation, which must come to its end one way or the other. In our backyard, there is a regime which is today by far one of the most cruel, brutal, tyrannies on earth, and I know what I say, because I cover it for 40 years, and this regime cannot be defined but as an apartheid. Two peoples live on one piece of land, one people has all the rights in the world, and I'm talking now only about the occupied territories. One people has all the rights in the world, the other people has no rights whatsoever. It looks like apartheid, it talks like apartheid, it is apartheid, and nobody can contradict it. Go to the Jordan Valley see the prosperity in the settlements and then go and see the Palestinians who live there without electricity, without water, without any rights. And then tell me if it's apartheid or you might invent it another title. There's no difference between Israeli suffering and Palestinian suffering. There's no difference between these distraught parents and loved ones, you know, whose family are being held hostage now. You know, and there's no difference between their their suffering and these 1,200 precious human lives that were taken. And in that, I count the sort of 50, 60 Israeli soldiers who have been murdered in the course of this uh, rampage into, into Palestine. There's no difference between those. But there is an enormous difference between a grotesque occupying power with one of the world's most powerful militaries, carpet bombing a civilian population, and a terror organization, a group of militants striking out every now and again. There's an enormous difference. You know. And as we know only too well, you know, and as you know, the, the writers in Haaretz and many other people are pointing the finger of being squarely at Netanyahu who has worked systematically to destroy any hope of a peace process and, and and to end up with this sort of 
utterly inhumane and atrocious sort of situation. I mean, the 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 speech that Netanyahu made talking about Amalek. Mm. You know, he said, you know, triumphantly, we are united in our fight against Hamas. You know, we are completely committed to eliminating this evil from the world. This is the fight of light against dark. You must remember what Amalek has done to you, says our Holy Bible, and we do remember. And the whole point of Amalek, as you know, is that God commanded King Saul in the first book of Samuel to kill every person in Amalek, which was a rival nation to ancient Israel. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the prophet Samuel tells us. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack them. Totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Opposed to say, trail them behind your armored vehicles when you've murdered them. And the professor of Jewish studies at the College of Charleston, Joshua Shane's this week, did an analysis of that speech. You know, and he 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 just you know he, he just talked about how insane this is. You know that Netanyahu is undoing the whole moral scaffolding of the Jewish tradition and asserting a biblical literalism alien to the Judaism of the last two thousand years. And given the military power at his disposal, this is frankly terrifying and having devastating consequences for the civilians of Gaza. You know, and you've got this guy hugging Joe Biden. And I see just yesterday, President Macron of France has finally said, okay, look, there has to be a ceasefire. Like, all right, he, he was standing with Israel at the start and genocide was okay for a while, but what the fuck? What the fuck? Well, it is extraordinary, isn't it, how language itself and words become part of the kind of the battleground because like a ceasefire has become something that if you if you say you want a ceasefire it is somehow uh you are giving <clears throat> sucker to hamas you are almost like you know you you like again yeah, this yeah, whole idea yeah, of yeah. like you know well hamas will be able to regroup and and what 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 do you say about that whereas you know it is just again uh and I, I and I'm not like I'm not pointing this. I I like I, sometimes when I frame things in a way where I say like you know even from the Israeli point of view, I'm not doing it because that's my that's the point of view I'm I'm advancing. I'm doing it because I'm thinking even from you know even from your own best your own enlightened self interest, this makes no sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what yeah, that's I mean, what I'm I, saying. Like I I I understand that totally. And well, so like when think... when so like when. You know, but this is the thing. It is amazing that ceasefire became ceasefire has become a dirty word. A dirty word. A word that so, somehow suggests that you are uh, a fellow traveler. Uh, you know, and that you support Hamas. That uh, you support uh, a terror yeah, organization. Yeah, yeah. That you can be on. You can be on that spectrum. You can be on that spectrum of support by just saying uh, ceasefire, or else, or at the at the be at best, you are hopelessly naive. You know, hopeless naive about how the yeah. how the, how the world works like that yeah, is. There's a guy. There's a guy, Philip Ingram, MBE. You know, who's sort of one of these. You know, war consultants, ex sort of British military, and another guy. I'm trans but they, they've been constantly at me on Twitter that I don't understand the intricacies of war and that I don't understand the intricacies of the situation. 
you know, and and you know, you're absolutely right about that twisting of words and meaning being central. I mean, one of the things I'd never heard this before. But it's like, you know, these clever PR people who are dreaming up these phrases that don't mean anything at all. Uh, I mean, the humanitarian pause. I mean, mm. what the fuck is a humanitarian pause? Yeah. I mean, you know what Frankie Boyle said it was? That's he a... said it was a cigarette before the firing squad. <laughs> yeah. You know, have you any, have you any last, well, we'll have a cigarette, you know, okay, well, look, hold on, lads. Mm. Just, just while you're reloading there, let the, let the critter smoke a cigarette there. All right, lads, steady, aim, fire. Down he goes, you know. That, that's a humanitarian pause. But they're all talking about it. I mean, Bernie Sanders. I mean, I listened really carefully to what Bernie Sanders was saying, you know. And I always thought Bernie was one of the good guys. But on Thursday, he tweeted, in a world increasingly torn apart by war and hatred, we need a strong United Nations to work for peace and diplomacy. In the midst of the, the disaster in Gaza, which has claimed many thousands of lives, we will not forget the 89 United Nations wor workers who have died providing for those in desperate need. So 89 United Nations workers have mysteriously died in Gaza in, quote, a disaster. I mean, I can only presume that Senator Sanders isn't over the detail yet. What does, what does that mean? Hmm. Did you see the truck appeal yeah. on the seventh of November? Yeah, and it, I, 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 it was it's just, and I come back to how we started the conversation where you were saying about you know you would almost rather have been locked in your bathroom than to come out and face this, and you know what you're not joking like, like last night I didn't really sleep at all, and you know I, I felt I think maybe it's a combination of. Stardust, you know, yesterday we had, which was Friday, we're recording this on Saturday, oh, oh, oh. we had such a powerful and emotional day yesterday, you know, man Michael O'Toole gave evidence. He said, you know, that the doorman who was supposed to be responsible for unlocking all the doors, who had the bunch of keys, was a friend of their families. He said that he ran because they lived very close to the Stardust and his dad saw the flames shooting out from the roof and he ran over with his dad. His dad woke him, they ran over and they were just, you know, in a daze watching the horror unfold. And the doorman, who was a good friend of his and a very close friend of the family's, was distraught because he thought that his girlfriend might have died. As it turned out, she was. She was. She, 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 was, she, she died in, in, in the conflagration. And they brought him back to the house to their house, the O'Toole household, where he was a very welcome visitor for, for tea and to calm him down. And he was he didn't know that she was dead or not. He was frantic with worry. And, uh, he said, look, those, those, those people, they died like rats. They couldn't get out. You know, the doors were all locked and he held up the bunch of keys. And they were, he said, like, we felt the enormity of this in the room together. And we felt so sorry for him. You know, he said, look, I, that's what I was told, you know. We were told not to unlock the doors. They were all locked. Those people didn't have a chance, you know. And then he described yesterday as horror the following day when he heard the same person who he had driven around the hospitals until five o'clock in the morning one night and then dropped him back at the Stardust at five in the morning with the bunch of keys, presumably to leave them back. 
is horror the next day and the family's horror the next day when they heard interviews that this doorman had done saying, well, I unlocked all of those doors. You know, and knowing that he had lied and knowing the sort of devastating consequences of those lies. And he said to the jury yesterday, you know, I never, never spoke to him again. We were very close, but that was the end of it. You know, I couldn't really look at him again. You know, and it's it's something about you know that gross dishonesty of what's happening in Gaza. You know, I mean, put it to you this way: everybody knows and everybody accepts, right? Well, anybody that I know, anyway, people, all people of good intent, anyone who's interested in other human beings, accepts that what Hamas did was atrocious. And cannot be justified. And there's no justification for that horrific taking of human life. You know. And our sympathies are with those Israeli families, etc. Right. That's just straightforward. Yeah, because there's no propaganda war in that. That's just the way things are. Because we look at that and we say, look, they've been murdered. Mm. And, you know, there's, it's appalling loss of life. And these hostages have to be returned. I mean, this is absolutely appalling. Right. But if that was the other way around, and it was Israel who'd done that, They'd be saying, well, but don't blame us for us. It's nothing to do with us. Mm. Absolutely nothing to do with us. Blame these Nazis over here, yeah. you know. And I mean, uh, uh, and, and I think that that's a, that's a useful way to look at it. I suppose if you weren't confronted with the enormity of the, the daily slaughter and the tragedy, you know, the children, I mean, I saw a thing on the night last night, you know, one of the wards of Al Shifa, you know, where they've been amputating the, the baby's legs. Like, Jesus Christ. Mm. And, you know, I read just with, you know, I was so disappointed. I was so dis devastated. Trokra put out an appeal during the week. I just happened to see it. And it said in bullet points 10,492 people. Uh, killed. In Gaza, 242 people held captive by Hamas, 4,237 children killed in Gaza, 1,405 people killed by Hamas in Israel, 164 people killed in the occupied West Bank. And I noted how people and children in Gaza and the West Bank have been mysteriously killed or died. People in Israel, meanwhile, have been killed by Hamas or held captive by Hamas. Well, and it was, it was an illustration of your point that even calling for a ceasefire now brand you as as the Israeli ambassador would put it anti-Semitic you know, as the Irish people are anti-Semitic you know and uh, we are funding terror tunnels and I mean in that complete and absolute nut job who if he was here would probably be held you know be sectioned Otsma Yehudit, the, the cabinet minister, the Israeli minister oh. in their, their cabinet. I mean, he said this week, nuking Gaza is an option. Now, they can go to Ireland or the deserts instead. They can go to Ireland. We're being singled out because we're saying, ceasefire, ceasefire now. Mm. He says, Gaza has no right to exist. Anyone waving a Palestinian flag should not be allowed to continue living on the face of the earth. Then the Americans intervened. There was a whole, like, fuck's sake, lads. Like, we can only protect you to a certain extent. But, I mean, if you're going to be overtly peddling genocide, 
what the fuck are we going to say about that? Give us a chance here, lads. You know, Secretary Blinken out there with all his weasel words as well. And then Netanyahu said, well, he's been suspended from government meetings. And then two days later, Haaretz, you know, they said, well, look, he's no power to do that. This is this is entirely fake. He's not suspended from the cabinet meetings at all. It was like a, it's like a GEA suspension. He's back in time. <laughs> well, no, it's not like GEA suspensions actually happen. I'm trying to think of a, of, 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 of an equivalent thing, but like the, 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 and the extent, the, the other thing about it is the sort of how primitive the propaganda is, you know, and of course that's because it's only for internal consumption in Israel. It's just to continue, you know, as, as Gideon Levi said, like the problem with Israelis is we live in a bubble. The vast majority of us live in a bubble and we believe this to be true when we hear this. Mm. So, you know, the uh, the convoy of ambulances that are that are moving the injured people from hospitals in the north to the south of Gaza told like there's your safe route, so it takes off and it's bombed, and you know Sky News team was very quickly at the scene, you know, and uh, their 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 uh, presenter said that you know this it's a it's a horror and a hell that's hard to comprehend here, you know. Israel have claimed that the ambulances were carrying terrorists, but the Sky News team have seen men, women and children for themselves in images that are too distressing to broadcast. This is Gaza, where the bombardment continues. My report uh, does contain images of the aftermath of an Israeli strike from the very start. Israel's battlefield is now the front entrance of Gaza's biggest hospital. Among the dead from their airstrike are women and children. We know that because we can see them in images that we could never broadcast. It is a horror and a hell that is hard to comprehend. According to Gaza's health ministry, a convoy of ambulances was trying to drive south, taking the wounded to Egypt when it was hit. A doctor speaking to us from the hospital described the scene. It's still chaos in the emergency department because there were so many bystanders nobody knows. Um, that part of the, um, the it's the only gate into and out of Shifa and it, so it turned into a bit of a market there There was no denial from the Israelis they did this they say because they had to because they claim the ambulances were carrying terrorists they have repeatedly said that Hamas is using the hospital as a base and that they have warned civilians to leave Hi mister, I see you just a few hours before the strike, a little over 100 miles to the north in Tel Aviv, America's top diplomat was back to meet Israel's prime minister. The two held private talks where we're told the US Secretary of State did urge restraint. There was a meeting with Israel's war cabinet. And then a news conference, a reiteration of America's full support for Israel's war and some words of caution. As Israel conducts its campaign to defeat Hamas, how it does so matters. It matters because it's the right and lawful thing to do. It matters because failure to do so plays into the hands of Hamas and other terror groups. And yet for all that, the Israeli prime minister said they would continue with all their power. And listen to this from a key member of the war cabinet. Everything that happens in Gaza right now is uh, con rightly connected both uh, Great Hamas and all the rest of simply details. But they're not details. There are lots of civilians dying. Thank you. 
the details he talks about amount to a reported 10,000 dead now in Gaza. This is the coastal road in the Strip. It was the only route south still open. Reported Israeli shelling hit at least one car in a convoy. The images show children among the dead. Those who have managed to move south into the so-called evacuation zone, it is just the same. This is Khan Yunus, the place that is supposed to be safe. Men, women, bundles. And this is what fortunate looks like in Gaza. A young girl, revealed from the rubble, she is alive, but reciting her prayers, preparing to die. And then um, they release, uh, the IDF release another tip, you know, which they say is two Hamas terrorists discussing using these ambulances. And in a 29-second tip, the actors employed use the word ambulances 10 times. Well, we can always get an ambulance. Would, you know, Hamas terrorists, you know, can you send me over an ambulance? No, yes, we'd send you over an ambulance. Now, where will that ambulance be going? Yes, we'll be in those ambulances shortly. You know, and quite clearly um, a fake recording. But they don't really care because it's only for internal consumption. Well, yeah, except they're, they're, they're yeah, it, it, it does leak out and it does. Like and there are other developments in that regard. But they don't really care about us. No, they don't care. Well, no, 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 well, like, well, no. Another example of that is that uh, you know at the at the weekend as we're recording for or on Friday for the world's biggest news organizations, Hatches and I, that they had any prior knowledge of the Hamas attack on October the seventh. Oh, because um, they were attacking them. Because they're saying you know the Associated Press, Reuters, the New York Times, and CNN came out and said that uh, yeah. the presence of Palestinian photographers in Gaza who documented Hamas's cross-border raid, uh, they were there uh, covering, they were there reporting. Um, Benny Gantz, who's in the Israeli war cabinet, said, journalists found to have known about the massacre and who still chose to stand, chose to stand at, who still chose to stand as idle bystanders while children were slaughtered are no different than terrorists and should be treated as such. And the Israeli Prime Minister's office said these journalists were accomplices in crimes against humanity. Their actions were contrary to professional ethics. So uh, uh, the New York Times said this was reckless to make such allegations, putting, out, putting our journalists on the ground in Israel and Gaza at risk. Um, and you know, it is one of those areas where it's it's hugely dangerous, like because it's it's just going to create. You know, we see we see, you know again that 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 total fear and hatred of the media um, who are covering it. Um, it's going to just it's going to add to that, and it does, and it does just then just like you know, there are so many examples of like you know the 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 Hollywood stuff that the Israel you know official accounts are pushing. You know this idea that, like, any like the, the some of the of the footage you see from Gaza is is staged, um, even though that has been hu- widely debunked, it, it's yeah. still put out on official accounts. You know, you also have people like influencers putting out videos saying that uh, that uh, the other that um, the that you know the October seventh attack wasn't wasn't real wasn't you know that the, the most of the people 
these the words most of the people kill oh, yeah, were, I mean, were soldiers, all that I mean, kind that, of that, stuff. That, those that, stuff that, we put that, out. That's 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 obvious nonsense. But I mean, you 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 like it it it's interesting, you know. And I've been reading a lot and listening to a lot, going back through archives about how Israel has managed to create this situation so um, carefully constructed since 1948-49 that, that makes them almost bomb-proof from criticism. I mean, I, uh, and we play this clip for the listeners, it's, it's a Mossad agent, an ex-Mossad agent, Viktor Ostrovsky on C-SPAN. And uh, he's talking about how worldwide now his, his, uh, his area of operation was America. So in America, he was in charge of taking down anyone who was seen to be critical of Israel, right? Mm. They were massively well-resourced. And he said that we called critics of Israel in America, Pete the Cockroach. So, so we would, if we found a Pete the Cockroach, if we were getting a call or someone was saying, look, some of our local operators were saying, look, we've got a problem with this guy. He's been well listened to. You know, he's been very critical of Israel. So we would conspire to label him or her as an anti-Semite. And once we began to do that through the newspapers, we would plant stories. We would have, you know, we would have sympathetic journalists. We would be able to use Murdoch's Press, for example. You know, we could use the New York Post. We would label them as an anti-Semite because that's what we say here she is. And that is a stain that cannot be washed. And once we had destroyed them, they were no longer a threat. Now, I know what they do because I used to ask them to do it. I mean, when I was in the Mossad and we had a guy that gave us problems in the U.S. and he was speaking out and he was talking like, like Pete talked once and said, Israel is bombing Lebanon with cluster bombs. We say, hey, who's that guy? You know, Pete Makaki, we used to call him. Yeah, which is Pete the Cockroach. Because he makes a lot of noise and you can't get rid of him. So what you do is you get in touch with a guy in, in, the, in the station in New York or in the station in Washington. And you say, tell the guys at B'nai to label him. And of course the campaign starts and before you know it, the guy's labeled. And he's an anti-Semite because that's what we say he is. And that's one stain you cannot wash. Now, it shames me as a Jew to tell you that. But that's the fact. And it's wrong. No, it's... Uh, and it also is um, hugely damaging uh, to the fight against anti-Semitism, which is a real thing. And we Correct. can see... And it is Correct. actually... And, Correct. you know, there are, there are, are you know, people in in schools, in synagogues, people who are, are, are more frightened today. Um, and they do feel like, and it is on the rise, and it is, and it is the way the fact that it is hijacked in that way is, uh, well, I hope, is, is, I is sincerely damaging. Hope, I sincerely hope, and I would be extremely disappointed. I, I have not in any of my GA circles or any of my circles of legal friends or, you know, the communities that I operate in heard a single anti-Semitic remark or anti-Semitic sentiment. I think that people very clearly understand the difference between this Israeli government, you know, uh, and 
and the Jewish people worldwide. I mean, people see Jewish voices for peace. They see, you know, leading Jewish writers, Kenneth Roth, people like that, Daniel Levi. They see their exasperation and pain at what, at what is happening in Gaza. You know, and they understand. I think that, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've not seen any anti-Semitism in, in Ireland. And I'd be absolutely disgusted if there was any such thing. I mean, I saw what's 13 News last night and I saw the rabbi, uh, the chief rabbi in Ireland being interviewed. And he said, well, look, you know, we've not had any physical violence or altercations, but we have had some, you know, words being used which would be distressing, you know. And I did notice that the that, that sort of burgeoning far-right hate movement uh, were making very, very anti-Semitic at, their, at, at a march they had two days ago. One of the leaders was wearing... Uh, a Nazi overcoat that would, that would have been worn by Nazi colonels. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, and I did. Yeah, that 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 you know, anti-Semitism being you know a, a a prejudice against Jewish people simply because they're Jewish people, and you know, I I I I believe we're living in one of the most civilized countries on earth now, and I'd be absolutely disgusted if anyone was was using this to. You know, harnessing what's happening in Israel to attack Jewish people who have nothing to do with this, nothing whatsoever to do with this. You know, and we see, and I think we're going to talk about this in a different podcast, what Suella Breverman and what the right in England is doing deliberately to try and create this culture war and and to actually stir up anti-Semitism. You know, then stand, stand back from the consequences of that, watch it flourish, and then say, well, look at all this terrible anti-Semitism. You know, and I don't think I don't think we're falling for that here. You know, even extends to the U.S. president. I mean, Joe Biden said, you know, well, he said, you know, we're, these numbers are coming from Hamas. Talked about when he was asked about the ten thousand, the eleven thousand sort of you know people who've been murdered. If I may very quickly, in the 18 days since Hamas, Hamas killed 1,400 Israelis, the Hamas-controlled Gaza Health Ministry says Israeli forces have killed over 6,000 Palestinians, including 2,700 til- children. You've previously asked Netanyahu to minimize civilian casualties. Do these numbers say to you that he is ignoring that message? What they say to me is I have no notion that the Palestinians are telling the truth about how many people are killed. But I have no confidence in the number that the Palestinians are using. No, that was the same Joe Biden who saw the pictures of beheaded babies. The White House had to come out and say, well, look, actually, he was relying on what uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu told him. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. And I was looking at the the um, a group during the week, United Nations Watch. Have you heard of them? Because they were propping up all the time on social media, United Nations Watch. And they were saying things that seemed to me to be surprising coming from the United Nations, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I researched them. And in fact, what they are is that they're a non-governmental organization established by a lot of money um, to sort of man-mark the United Nations, right, and to watch them for, patrol them for any sort of signs of anti-Semitism or criticism of Israel. And, like, if you look at their website and all, you would think this is a, this is a, a, a decent, logical United Nations offshoot. I mean, here's their, here's their um, output this week on their website. 
The United Nations Work and Relations Agency teachers are supporters of Hamas terrorism. This is because a lot of these teachers are now making videos on social media to talk about the atrocious conditions in Gaza. They are breeding the next generation of Hamas terrorists in their United Nations-funded schools. Now, their executive director is a guy called Hillel Noor. He's a real charmer. And he, he's, he tweets all the time, you know, the United Nations, children are not a target meme, is designed to create the impression that Israel is targeting children. The opposite is true. It is Hamas terrorists who are using children as human shields. United Nations, he tweeted, why are you enabling Hamas terrorism? And this was a re response to an official United Nations tweet that said, on average, one child is now being killed and two injured every 10 minutes in Gaza. Nara was selected as one of the top 100 most influential Israeli people in the world by the Israeli newspaper Mariv, you know. And... You know, his view is summed up in something that he said about the United Nations. It seeks to demonize Israeli democracy, to delegitimize the Jewish state, to scapegoat the Jewish people. They also seek something else. <laughs> this is my favorite bit of the irony is truly dead, like to distort and pervert the very language and idea of human rights. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? And the attack, you know, all the prominent Jewish intellectuals like Naomi Klein and Gideon Levi and you know, Mate and Roth and all the rest of them, you know. It's just an attack dog against the United Nations. Extremely well-funded, a shameless purveyor of propaganda. And if you didn't know any better, when you looked at it, you'd think it was a parody account in a spoof organization, you know, sort of a Chris Morris brass age. But they're man-marking everybody all around the world. I mean, the Israeli, the Israeli government is now man-marking Ireland and monitoring us attacking the Taoiseach, attacking the Tanisha, for what you would think is pretty mild humanitarian critics. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Systems. Mm. Um, you mentioned uh, 
Max Hastings earlier and and his 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 work with you know working with the Netanyahu family, who and we we talked in a previous podcast about uh, that that family and you know the, the Netanyahu worldview, which was handed from father to son, but there was uh, a piece by Max Hastings as well with the headline. Israel may destroy Hamas, but then what? Which appeared last week, and uh, yeah. it it made the point, which uh, again I think is worth repeating. Uh, and he said, he said, he just a couple of lines in this here, which are important. He said, almost two decades ago, I visited the West Bank after a surge of Palestinian violence, which the Israelis had punished with the usual killings and destruction of, of infrastructure. I listened for hours to local people pouring out their bitterness. Almost everything they said was nihilistic nonsense, but I returned to Jerusalem thinking, if I had no life, no job, no prospect, no significant possessions, and lived in squalor at the mercy of an occupying army and a grossly incompetent and corrupt Palestinian authority, I too might flail in such a fashion. Then he goes on to talk about the film, which we mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, The Gatekeepers, which was interviews with former uh, chiefs of Shin Bet, the Israeli counterintelligence service. And they're and, the sort of they, they just for the listener, that's like the Israeli secret service, if yeah, you like. That's yeah. their you know MI five type. And of thing. I would recommend watching that film. It's an extraordinary film because it tells What's you it called Dion the Gatekeepers. Uh, Where's that on? Uh, I I don't know where you can get it on YouTube. It's uh, it's on YouTube now, um, okay. and uh, I watched it again recently, and it's extraordinary because. Again, like Yitzhak Rabin, who we've talked about, a lot of these these men were transformed by the their experiences, you know, and that that sense that of the futility. And uh, Max Hastings quotes one of them who said, "You know, occupation has made us a cruel people." And he also says, "You know, he is you know, a great supporter of as as you as we have talked about, like the." The wonder and the beauty that there is in in Israel among its people, um, but he says, he says when all these essential caveats, this is backstasings, have been entered, the question persists: Can the IDF defy the precedents of history and destroy Hamas by mere force of arms? It can explode Gaza's tunnels. It can kill terrorists who have forfeited any claim upon mercy. But can it root out the idea of resistance among millions of Palestinians? in a Gaza reduced to rubble and the West Bank sub- subject to creeping and indefensible Israeli annexation. The principal motive force among these people is not Islam, but despair. The best prospect of alleviating this is surely to light a candle of hope among those willing to embrace peace. Yeah, I mean, I, I take that point, but you know, I have become increasingly frightened because you you think, okay, look, you know, appreciate at the moment there's no end game, but but they're going to stop soon. And you know, the Americans are now talking about there has to be now a two state solution, etc., etc., etc. But I'm increasingly fearful that Israel is completely out of control and can do what it wants. And if in the end it puts its foot down, you know, what? I mean, you, you look at America, for example. You look at Congress, where this the, the single Palestinian American Congresswoman has been censured in Congress this week, including by Democratic Congressmen and women, 
has been censured, which is one step below expulsion as a congresswoman. Censured for calling loudly for a ceasefire and criticizing Israel's actions in carpet bombing Gaza. That's what she's been censured for. Hmm. You know, so, you know, you listen to Bernie Sanders, who you would say would be a humanitarian. You listen to Joe Biden, who, you know, I've, I've always believed to be a humanitarian and a decent person. We're all saying the same thing. So, oh no, a ceasefire is out of the question. A ceasefire is out of the question. Well, we can have a humanitarian pause. I don't know if you heard Barack Obama. Again, the words. This week he was talking about um, Gaza. I will play the clip for the listeners. And the problem with the social media and trying to TikTok activism and trying to debate this on that is you can't speak the truth. You can pretend to speak the truth. You can speak one side of the truth. And in some cases, you can try to maintain your moral innocence, but that won't solve the problem. And so if you want to solve the problem, then you have to take in the whole truth. And you then have to admit nobody's hands are clean, that all of us are complicit to some degree, I look at this and I think back, what could I have done during my presidency to move this forward as hard as I tried? I've got the scars to prove it. But there's a part of me that's still saying, well, was there something else I could have done? That's the conversation we should be having. Not just looking backwards, but looking forward. I have absolutely no idea. I've listened to it five times, what he's talking about. And I Braddock's an accomplished blather, you know, talking sort of with... Apparent intelligence without saying anything at all. You well, I, I did. I did it. note. I, I did note that one of our listeners uh, tagged us in it, saying, "You know, before you came out and criticised it, somebody tagged us in it, saying this is exactly the point that Dion and Joe were making on uh, <laughs> an episode of Free State." So uh, I was like, "Okay." Um, yeah, I mean, they they and, and delivered with the confidence of God, you know. And the thought struck me. And we've asked our production team to, to, to hopefully they'll be able to do this, that if you rearranged the words, it would make absolutely no difference. You know, <laughs> I mean, I thought it's like, he was like a sort of, he's like, he was like a sort of a confident, he didn't want to say anything, you know, and he's not the president anymore, you know, but he knows what side his bread's buttered on, you know, like a confident Rose of Tralee stringing sort of banal, hopeful phrases together, you know, and it's that sort of thing, like, you know, <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here now, but I, I want world peace, but peace is complicated. So, you know, maybe a lot of folks out there, we don't want to simplify what is in the end a matter that we can all, all have regrets over. And that all does not signify everyone. Merely those of us who do not distinguish between what is often described as peace, but perhaps could more accurately be called hope. Hope, that light inside us that steers a path that is not always logical or even deliberate. It is only in this realization that we can act. It is only in this way that we can be truly human. <laughs> I bet you anyway, a load of people would say, Jesus, that was great by Brawley. It was not fantastic. They'd say, finally, Brawley is getting a bit of nuance. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, and I mean, and Mrs. Obama, I mean, honestly, 
I, I, I know you, 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 you put me onto this, obviously. I'm going to end up on an American watch list. Like, but <laughs> you put me onto Mrs. Obama's, uh, I think it's her second autobiography. She'll soon, big, have as many auto, she'll soon have as many autobiographies as Mickey Hart. But anyway, she, in her most recent autobiography, which I, 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 I did. Devoured, I as of, I say. Yes, <laughs> well, yes, devoured. Yeah. It's her solution to the world's problems, right? This is not a joke. It's called the light inside us or, you know, the light we carry. I think it's called the light we carry, you know, all that stuff. You know, it's like, and again, it's like, it's like a sort of a Rose of Tralee manual, you know. I mean, I recommend anybody who's going out for the Rose of Tralee to get this book and sort of paraphrase any, any paragraph, any random paragraph you can choose, you have a great chance of, of winning the Rose of Tralee. But her solution to all of the world's problems. <laughs> and this is not a joke. This is not a joke. I mean, she, she, uh, she was on the, you know, she, she actually uh, then did a nationwide tour with Oprah Winfrey. But her solution to the world's problems, including the Middle Eastern problems, is to take up knitting. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I feel I'm close to that at the moment. Just, just sit in your toilet with the door locked. Just, just rock, rock, rocking back and forth. <laughs> And knitting. <laughs> yeah, you're like you're like a, a very good friend of mine, right? Who, who says that every time his laptop tings with an email, he gets a tremor of terror. <laughs> <laughs> he, he refuses. He refuses. He refuses to open. He refuses to open the emails or open letters. He never opens letters. He says, "I mean, if I if I if I even start to open the edge of the letter, yeah, I, I can feel my heart starting to palpitate." You know. Um. The the um. The sort of, I think maybe it's it, 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 the, the hopeful sign in, in all of this, or is it, is the fact that you've got millions of people all over the world saying, look, this has got to stop. We've got, we cannot, there has to be a ceasefire. This is just too, this is just too much. And regardless of anything else, this has to stop. And it cannot. I mean, Professor Kenneth Ross, and you know, I find myself doing this as well, Dion. You know, if I if I'm if I'm thinking about something, I say, okay, look, it's better to find a leading Israeli or Jewish voice who's saying this. You know what I mean? Mm. And then I can say, I can allow them to reflect my view mm. safely. I'm saying, like, okay, what are you saying, brother? You anti-Semite? So, well, look, it's not anti-Semitic. This is Professor Ken Kenneth Ross. His father escaped the Nazis. He's the professor of public and international affairs at Princeton University. He's an expert in the Holocaust. He's an expert in human rights. He's the former executive director of Human Rights Watch and the Yale Law graduate. You know, and he said this week, Israel is quite clearly committing war crimes. Hmm. You know, this is unconscionable. You know, and Jewish people worldwide do not support this. No, well, I think that's you know, that's clear, and I don't think we channel our. But we, I mean, we're 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 at the stage where we're channeling our our views safely through leading Jewish commentators, philosophers, people who've survived the Holocaust. You know, and you you use that as a barrier. I think. Yeah, I, do you know what I would say about that, Joe? Like just on that, I think also because you that's one, but you also 
perhaps also think that the, here are people with a degree of insight and knowledge that are, we we can own, we can't necessarily have as outsiders and people who are looking on from the outside. So you look at it and you think, right, these are people who understand it. It is also, an, I think, a reflection of that that history which we've talked about in previous podcasts because we you know you have to come into an awareness of of everything to do with you know how you know of just of of israeli history and everything like that so i think i think there are understandable reasons why you find you you do you do seek that out that is that is absolutely right um and i'm glad i'm glad you've made that point um You're, you know, as part of that whole tapestry, that whole sort of bizarre world that's been that's been created to sustain this, you know, really powerful, you know, aggressive, cruel occupation of a, of a defenseless population. You know, sixty two United Nations resolutions. You know, more than any more than all the other countries put together have ever had resolutions against them. You know, we see that instead of European leaders standing up, like Keir Starmer, you know, Rishi Sunak, Ursula von der Leyen, I mean, Ursula von der Leyen said this week, you know, um, that there needs to be a humanitarian pause. You know, And then I thought a really outrageous, outrageous, photograph was taken of her where she was standing posing, you know, at the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin, which I've been at. Um, myself and um, the glamorous brunettes when we were in Berlin spent a morning there and it's one of the most powerful moving things I've ever seen. I don't know if you've been there. At the I Holocaust have, yeah. Memorial. I have. And to think, to think of that, um, you know, gross, unbelievable extermination of human life. There's never been mechanized extermination, you know, deliberate, planned, strategic, mechanized extermination, like what happened to the Jewish people, you know. And to think that anyone would use that as a shield, you know, that an Israeli government would use that as a shield to mass murder civilians in Gaza, you know, it, it, it's it's so disingenuous and so inhumane and so depressing, you know. And this idea, as um, Louis Charbonneau, who's the UN Director at Human Rights Watch, you know, he said, like, you know, we have completely lost our way on human rights when it comes to Israel and Palestine, and that's mainly due to the pressure from the United States and Israel. We cannot describe things as they are without being attacked, you know. And Part of the problem is that for decades now, you've had the United States and Europe sort of described in a way, and we saw this in the in the documentary, The Human Factor on Netflix, the one you put me on to, you know, which a lot of our listeners have watched and we've got a lot of feedback from them about that probably the most hopeful moment for peace in the history of this region, whenever you check Rabin and Yasser Arafat finally got it together, you know. And, and the Americans were serious about it, but the whole American team of negotiators and the lead negotiator said this afterwards. He said, you know, there was always a suspicion because all of us were Jewish, 
you know, and there was always a suspicion that we were that we were not acting entirely independently. You know? And I have to say, I I believe insofar as it was possible with with what I know, which is not obviously comprehensive, but doing the best that I can in relation to what happened in the peace negotiations during the that those team of negotiators did act in, in, in very good faith. But part of the problem is that for years, for decades, the United States and Europe have been sort of held up as though, as though they are mediators in the conflict. You know, that you can go to them and say, look, they're honest brokers. But it's completely untrue. That's the reality. And we see that now when it really comes to the crunch. I mean, the United <clears throat> States is a, is a party to this mass murder on the side of Israel. You know what, one thing... 14.3 billion dollars, you know, in military and intelligence being given to this occupation. Yeah. And, you know, instead of world leaders, European leaders, apart from, you know, notable notable exceptions, Belgium, Spain, Ireland, you know, Bolivia, Brazil, but I'm talking about the very important European leaders standing up, United Kingdom, European Union, America, to defend human rights. You know, basic, simple human rights. You know, well, I do think instead standing up to fit in this these gross violations of humanitarian law that Israel has been committing. And, I do, know. I do think Macron's uh, statements are, are are potentially and hopefully a turning point in that because uh, Macron is you know in the in those first rank. Of leaders, and even though it was couched a lot in in the terms that we've got used to, you know, it wasn't uh, bad. Though I listened to it very carefully, it wasn't bad, and you know, no, it wasn't. That's what I mean. It was, and like, uh, and he did use the humanitarian pause, but going to a ceasefire, ceasefire, and they need to stop, uh, need to stop this bombing in in Gaza. He said there was no justification uh, for the bombing, and I think, I think, honestly, I think that's. I think this is that's the way it's going to go. Again, I don't I don't know anything. And I, I was struck by one thing when we we talk about parallels, and you have to be careful with parallels as well with other, with 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 the North or with anywhere else. And uh, they're only kind of loose parallels in some ways. But one of the things that I, I'm struck by, and I mentioned it previously as well, I did interview Stephen Walker about his John Hume book, and I've talked to Sean O'Higgin previously, uh, who was an Irish civil servant, who did a huge amount of work in America um, with the with the four horsemen, you know, the senators in America, Ted Kennedy and all those people, Tip O'Neill, these people who became huge supporters of the Irish point of view. And that had a huge bearing on the peace process because it allowed suddenly, rather than America instinctively taking the British side, they were they, they there was a there was an Irish channel there, and if we there had are, massive advantages, we had yeah. massive advantages. Yeah, but they, but they, that the Palestinians don't have. I mean, there's no, no I know, Palestinian but, person in Congress and Senate. I mean, yeah, our, but, the, but, Irish, but that, Irish but, America but, is enormous. But the demo, enormous. demographics we're, in we're America, so powerful, Joe. That's Joe, why but, we never have to join any. That's why we never have to build up our military or anything. But, 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 but can we find the, the point? The Americans have our back. The demographics in America are changing. That's all I'd say. You know what I mean? So there is. There is through that through that those channels. There is potentially a way of getting balance into that relationship, so you don't have that sense that the only people that 
America and Europe are listening to, or are the first people in America and Europe are listening to, is Israel. But I think uh, I think we really, um, I I really need to go back and get my knitting needles and. and I, I really need to, to get you. Do you know how to knit? I I, I, don't I need to. to I need to see, and this is something you can't. But I don't apologize in these circumstances for saying this to you, my friend. I need a pint. Yeah, and I really don't uh, need one. We're going to finish this episode with one of those heartbreaking moments that we that are becoming used to. And this one is a video taken an emergency worker in Gaza, of a small baby who's been pulled out of the rubble and the baby's alive, the entire family is dead and the, I can hardly say this, the uh, nurse is uh, trying to cheer the baby up and uh, we're going to leave you with these sounds today at the very heavy hearts. Hi. 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 Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 